You're listening to Halford and Bruff. I'm told the Canucks are willing to entertain the idea of retaining salary on Besser. There's nothing worse than letting your buddy go around you like no big deal. You're not doing your, your friend or your, your, your teammate justice. I would suggest that it's more likely that Colin Delia gets that game at this point. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, the weekend. Good morning, Vancouver 601 on a Friday. Happy Friday, everybody. It is Halford. It is Bruff. It is Sportsnet 650. We are coming to you live from the Kintech Studios in beautiful Fairview Slopes in Vancouver. Jason, good morning. Uh, good morning. All right. Hey, dog, good morning to you. Good morning. And Laddie, good morning to you as well. Hello, hello. I think you should save that for the Canucks. <laughs> Not necessarily the introduction to our radio show, it's our high-energy morning it's, radio show. It's just another morning with you. Like, ugh. It is Friday. There's oh, something. that's good. That's good. That's good. Halford and Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. Uh, I mentioned we are coming to you live from the Kintec studios. No long, drawn-out sighs about that. He's excited to tell you about Kintec. We are coming to you live from the Kintec studio. Kintec Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. A big show ahead on a Friday. Guest list begins in about a half hour's time. Charlie O'Connor, uh, he writes about the Philadelphia Flyers for the Athletic. He's going to join us at 6.30. The Flyers, of course, are taking on the Canucks. Tomorrow night, Saturday night, Hockey Night in Canada, 7 o'clock from Rogers Arena. Uh, Andy, can you tell the folks what we've got in store for that game? It's a really special giveaway today. Yes, we're giving away another pair of tickets to the best what we learned or ask us anything. Uh, hashtag AWA, WWL, ticket emoji, praise me. Give your best what we learned or ask us anything, and you might win a pair of tickets to tomorrow's uh, Canucks game. Slight correction, hashtag AUA. AUA. You said AWA. Oh, ask, the, ask we anything. Yeah, the American Wrestling Alliance. Yeah. That was my favorite back in the day. Yeah. Anyway, uh, Charlie O'Connor is going to join us at 6.30 to preview that match for you. Yes, match. Uh, 7 o'clock, Peter Galindo is going to join us on the program. Sportsnet soccer analyst. Lots to get into with Peter. Uh, the All the turmoil that was surrounding, and it is still surrounding the Canadian women's national team, kind of unfortunately played out yesterday in the She Believes Cup where they took on the U.S. women. Uh, it was a very, very, very sloppy, sketchy, scattered affair, mm, and a lot surprising. of the women, a lot of women on the, a lot of the women on the team were talking about that in the aftermath. So we'll talk to Peter about that. Everything that's going on with Canada soccer, Premier League, et cetera, et cetera. Eight o'clock. Chris Faber from the athletic, or not the athletic, from Canucks Army and Canucks Conversation is going to join us. Uh, we'll talk to Fabes about the Canucks, both the NHL and the parent club, the AHL team down in Abbotsford. That's at eight o'clock. Ask us anything Friday. As well, you can, as Andy said earlier, ask we anything. Uh, AUA hashtag, you could also win a pair of tickets to go see the Canucks and Flyers tomorrow night at Rogers Arena. So there you go. That's the show. Ask us anything. Uh, 8 o'clock, Chris Faber. 7 o'clock, Peter Galindo. 6.30, Charlie O'Connor. That's the rundown. Now, let's tell everybody what happened. Hey, did you guys see the game last night? No. no. What happened? I missed all the action because I was... How busy your life can be. What happened? You missed that? What happened? 
The Canucks went back to school, also known as practice, yesterday. Uh, it was another day where the Canucks went through their paces. But the big, the big takeaway here is that uh, Rick Tockett held session with the media after practice. And there was a lot of really good audio from that, or a lot of really good quotable clips from the head coach. And then, later on, the Canucks had Dyson Ice, mm-hmm. their annual charity fundraiser, and Tockett spoke again, also at great, a great length, this time on Canucks Central with Satin Dan, and had even more intriguing things to say. So at the end of the day, I have about eight or nine clips that I think embody almost a lot of different topics, but one central theme for Rick Tockett and the Vancouver Canucks. And that is, they're too good a hockey team. That's not it. That's oh, okay. not, that wasn't they're, the biggest takeaway. Like, oh, I thought he was going to be like, I don't know what to do with a team this talented and this hard on the puck. Yeah. So not, that's not that. That's wrong. Okay. What uh, the big takeaway was, remember uh, when they lost to the Seattle Kraken 6 1 and then Tockett came out and called his team soft but but i thought he i thought he walked that back with you in the interview when i i missed that interview so i'm i'm relying on you i thought he came on the show he's like no i i, I didn't call them soft that's I didn't right mean to call them soft he walked it back mm-hmm. but now he's learned the trick how do i call this team soft without actually saying the word soft well we have about six or seven different clips and basically the the underlying theme of them is that he doesn't think they're i, I don't like saying they're hard you know like he, he doesn't think they're hard he wants a <laughs> he wants a hard team see this is what happens when you have a very juvenile radio show is that like everything is taken as a stupid joke they're soft but he wants them to get hard right he wants them to get hard uh-huh there, I, I mean, listen, listen let, let's, <laughs> yesterday I listened, I haven't actually heard the Dyson Ice um, audio, but I listened to, I listened to his entire scrum after, after practice and he started talking about new Beauvillier, um, new, new Beau, Beau, new Beau. Um, Antonio Beauvillier as, as he's occasionally known. Um, and he was asked by iMac, who was doing a story on Beauvillier, you know, what he thinks of 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 the player and talk it you know he he actually kind of didn't mince words i'm sure imac was hoping for this like oh yeah he's he he's great and all and and talk it as we've seen is is not afraid to openly and publicly criticize players he basically said yeah he's playing with Pedersen, and you know what when you're playing with Petey, i don't want him playing too fancy and we we know the certain things already because Tockett has spoken a lot and been quite open, we know the things he's harping on. Does he like East-West hockey? He would prefer North-South hockey. And North-South hockey, if you're if you're confused by all this, North-South hockey is just direct hockey. Just get the puck, move it up, and go to the net because that's where goals are scored. And if you have to uh, go through someone, then go through someone. Right. And we've talked a lot about that show, a, a, a lot about that premise throughout the years. The, think of how many perimeter players or dipsy doodlers have, have been on the Canucks that have been frustrating that can't get to the net. I mean, they drafted a power forward that refused to go to the net, right? This mm-hmm. is something that um, Rick Tockett has been harping on. And even though some of his – see, I think the risk that Tockett is going to run – is that he's going to be labeled an old-school coach. That's the risk he's going to be run. Basically, people are going to be like, you're Pete Carroll. Like, Pete Carroll wants to just run the ball. 
And but Pete Carroll like talks about like you know like the game is won in the trenches mm-hmm. and, and this sort of stuff. And maybe I'm old school, but I hundred percent agree with it, right? And 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 running the ball and and the willingness to to take the ball and just just you know take it and go through the other team. It's a similar idea to what Rick Tockett is preaching. He has time for talent. Like sometimes you need to make an east-west play. You know what a cross-seam pass is? It's an east-west play, right? But there is so much uh t- there's way too much of that in the Canucks and there's not enough north-south. And why don't you just run through some of the clips that you've collected here cuz I know you've prepped it and we can start with some of the some of the um the practice audio maybe just with him saying the that he wants the Canucks to go through people and play hard hockey and then he he was he was he was so angry that he basically choked on his own rage so why don't why don't, why don't Let's we start, start there why, why, don't, why don't we start with this clip this would be the clip where um Tockett wants the Canucks to go through people and play hard hockey. This is uh, from the scrum, Laddie. This is from the scrum. Yeah. Well, I, I think the the group is trying to work hard. I, 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 I it's not excuses. I know the coach stuff. We, I wish we had more time. Um, they just got to know it's a hard game, you know. And I, I, I felt against the Rangers there was some good effort, but we just you got to go through people. You got to stick people. You got to mark people. And we have a bad habit of spinning away from people. And I don't know. That's that's going to take a long time. <clears throat> that's hard hockey, um, and you're not going to be a winning team if if you don't embrace that you know that pain where it's. <clears throat> and I don't care if you're small guy or a big guy. <clears throat> you don't have to kill a guy. You just got to make sure you mark your guy. Sorry, my throat's <clears throat> yelling too much. <clears throat> Sorry. So D zone, I, I, especially the Rangers, like you know. You gotta make sure if you, you go on Panarin. I don't care if you're Pedersen or if you're Hughes or you're Joshua Dakota. That's your man. You go through him. You don't have to kill him. And I feel we come off our check way too much. <clears throat> but that starts at training camp. That, that that starts weeks and weeks of pounding and pounding and pounding it. So we got a lot of work to do. But maybe quite frank, uh, and it's, it's it's not an indictment to anybody. It's just. That's the way it is, and we have to, as coaches, exhaust everything we have to make sure that these guys understand that. There's again, there's one big takeaway from every clip you're going to hear this morning. It's that, and, and you, if we even take it out of the calling them soft realm, think of it this way: he basically wants to change every single thing that they do when it comes to how to approach a hockey game. That's the bigger way of looking at it. He, they want to play east-west. He'd prefer they play more north-south. They can't kill penalties. He would like them to do that. They're soft. He would like them to get hard. Right? All of these things, practice habits, line changes, philosophical approaches. Did you mention shot blocking? Shot blocking. More shot blocking. Let's go there next. This was a question from JPAT. Can we get the part of the JPAT question in there as well? Because I think that's important. Because he was talking about the number of shots, nine, that they blocked the other night in that loss to the Rangers. And talk, it's like jumping in to say, it's not enough. Mm-hmm. And then J-Pack continues his question. Here now is another thing that the Canucks need to do differently. Block more shots from the head coach, Rick Talkin. Rick, where do you, where do you stand on <clears throat> shot blocking and the need to block shots? Well, he had nine last night as a group. Like, is that a... Not that enough. A, yeah. We have guys who are a pelly kill that don't block enough shots. 
and I got to find people to do that. It, it's not, it, listen, it, it, I, I get it, you know, but there's certain times when you just got to block that shot, you know. There's just no excuse, you know, six minutes left, and that's, you're the flexo guy, and you got to get out on the guy, that shot's got to be blocked. So, yeah, that's another part of the process here. We have to block shots. So he is talking about all areas of the ice mm-hmm. when he's talking about playing north-south and going through guys. But let's not forget why he was brought on. To, and that, to do, yeah, to do this. But Okay, well, hold on a second. Don't, don't complete my thoughts if you don't know where I'm going. Why he was brought on was because the Canucks allow too many goals. And it's still a problem. Yeah, part of it's goaltending. Part of it's goaltending. And by the way, we'll get to the goaltending story in just a bit. Uh, but a lot of it's going to be in the Canucks' own end. And he clearly thinks that they don't defend with enough conviction. And you you can't just run around out there. And he knows that. You can't just run around. And he said that in the shot blocking. Like, like You can't just run around looking for shot blocks. But, like... When the time comes and the opportunity presents itself, you have to make a hard play. And he talks about spinning away from guys. And he doesn't mean that like when you've got the puck. He's not talking about like Connor Garland is spinning away from guys with the puck. I mean, he might be partly talking about that. But a lot of the spinning away stuff is when you're in your own zone and a guy's coming at you, and you got to check them. Well, it's not always comfortable to do that. Like it's it's hard, and sometimes it hurts, right? <laughs> and so let let's hear Rick talk talking about how he wants the Canucks to defend with conviction. Yeah, we you, you got to defend with conviction. You know, I know, and I know the goal you're talking about. The defenseman's got to take Panarin's stick. It's, yeah, that's a you know Sergey and Footer like well, they were masters at. You know, once you got a guy, you take a stick. There's no goal. You know, there's certain mm-hmm. little details that, but that's got to be done in practice. So when we do a box out drills in practice, and we'll do, a, we'll start doing a lot of them. You know, that's what you do. I remember coaching in Pittsburgh with uh, Crosby and uh, and Latang. They would go at it with vengeance right. in front of that because they, they were challenging stuff. And I want to get that here. You know, I want PD going in front of the net and Husey taking his stick and boxing him out. Like, mm-hmm. that's the only way that you're going to get better. So, uh, And then when the games come, it's natural. It's like brushing your teeth in the morning, right? right. I, I know exactly what I'm going to do. So, you know, things like that is uh, – I, I don't want to say non – they're kind of non-negotiable because you've got to be able to do that stuff if you want to win. And, uh, you know, these guys are willing to learn. I, I, we've had great feedback from them. They're asking questions that they want to learn. So I, 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 some people are going to label this – old school type of hockey if they if they want to criticize Rick Tockett. But don't forget, he's making a lot of um references to recent Stanley Cup winners. And he was on the bench for two of the most recent Stanley Cups because he was an assistant coach with the Pittsburgh Penguins. And even though Sidney Crosby doesn't have, you know, <laughs> the numbers, the career numbers that Rick Tockett had in terms of penalty minutes. <laughs> it was never like, I got 100 points and 300 penalty minutes. Be tough to get to Tockett's <laughs> Well, we'll talk about that in just a bit. But Sid is a very, very intense competitor. 
He doesn't scream and yell and, and, and bash his stick out there like some people. He doesn't let everyone know how intense he is. He just goes out and competes. And he is a very, very competitive guy. The other guy that Talkit references a lot is the most recent Stanley Cup champ, and that would be Nathan McKinnon and how intense he is. To the point that Nathan McKinnon actually had to dial it back a little bit. But he's not losing that intensity. And there will probably be times when Nathan McKinnon crosses the line with things he says to his teammates, but also, but, but he walks the walk, right? Like he plays with an intensity out there. Mm-hmm. We also have to remember the head coach and how different his career was than the previous coach. The previous coach was a guy that put up lots of points, but he wasn't an intense competitor of Rick Tockett. And frankly, he didn't have much of an NHL career. Rick Tockett had an NHL career. Scored a lot of goals, played a lot of games, and racked up almost, get this, 3,000 penalty minutes during his NHL career. Now, he doesn't expect everyone to be as tough as he was and to rack up those types of penalty minutes because nobody does anymore. Remember, you know, one of his prime pupils in Pittsburgh was Phil Kessel. He wasn't asking Phil Kessel to go drop the gloves but he was asking him to buy into certain things because he knows that soft teams don't win the Stanley Cup. Mm-hmm. He's trying to build the Canucks an identity. He sees the same things we see when we watch the Canucks. Not a fast team, not a smart team, not a particularly tough team. So what are they? He's trying to develop that. Now, whether or not he's going to be able to do this with this lineup We'll, we'll see. But he's putting a lot of focus on the guys that will be here next year, yeah. and that is Quinn Hughes and Elias Pettersson. Yeah, and it makes – I guess, you know, when you said oh, people are going to push back and they're going to give him a hard time for being, quote-unquote, too old school, I wasn't sure if people would. And then right away, almost on cue, we get a text into the Dunbar Lumber text message in basket. Unsigned. Quote. Tockett will drive this team into the bottom for the next two years until he is fired. I'm getting Mike Keenan vibes. I suppose if that's the vibe that you're getting, I'm not going to do a vibe check for you, but I get the polar opposite, to be perfectly honest. Sometimes I think that Keenan was all about motivation, and I don't mean in a good way. I mean constantly lighting uh, fires under butts and trying to keep guys on edge and playing mental war games. Rick Tockett has a very clear vision about what he wants to do and the way he wants the team to play. What's more, and this is something that Alvin and Rutherford said when they introduced him, and I wasn't sure it was true, but it clearly is. He's a very good communicator. He doesn't just say something and then not back it up with a very, very specific example. So, for example, yesterday, he's talking about what makes a good wall guy. Very specific, very narrow, kind of inside baseball, hockey nerd-ish type Mm -hmm. answer that maybe a lot of people wouldn't necessarily care about. Wall guy. uh, He puts up plaster, a little bit of drywall, (laughs) boom, he's out. Stupidest superhero ever. Right. Wall guy. He's very very basic. What do you do exactly? (laughs) I put up walls. Yeah. (laughs) He hangs drywall for a living. But anyway. He's talking about battling along the boards. Yeah. But the way that... Again, maybe I'm over like stating how cool I thought this was, but he all of a sudden goes to a very specific example in a recent game talking about, and I think this is important, 
one of those guys that is probably going to be around here for the future and a guy that he's clearly investing a lot into. That player, Vasily Podkolzin. Here's the answer to a question about wall guys talking about Podkolzin and then what he has for the future and then back to what the team needs to do to establish an identity. Here's Rick Tockett last night from Dyson Ice. I'll, I'll give you a perfect example. We're playing Jersey in Jersey, and um, you know we're, we had a really good game. There's two minutes left. Jack Hughes was still on the ice, mm-hmm. and the puck was rimmed to Pod Colson. And if he doesn't get that puck out, we have tired guys on the ice. Jack Hughes gets that puck, right. could be trouble. And he did a reverse pinch. He, the way his technique was really good, he got that puck out. And uh, for me, for me, that play there is as good as scoring a goal. Right. Like, I don't think, I shouldn't say I don't think, I value that as much as anything. Uh, like, our staff values that. You want your teammates to value that. You know, everybody always looks at, hey, who scores the goal? But who's doing those little things? And Pod Colson, who's a young guy and still learning, you know, he's he's still trying to get himself to stay in the NHL. That's a big play, and we praised him for that. We got it out. We survived that mm-hmm. shift. So that's what a good wall guy does. You know, when when and it's also the technique. That's why the, the twins are good at it is, you know, how do you def- how do you when you know the puck's coming? How do you take a guy's hands when the guy right. pinches on you instead of they, they keep the puck in? Now, the other thing I like about Tockett is that every time that he references um, players or levels that they want to get to, it's always the best in the game. Mm-hmm. It's always Crosby, McKinnon. He alluded to Daniel and Henrik there. Like, so he understands, and I think this is part of his career too, is that he was this big, bruising guy that could also play a skill game because he scored a lot of goals, but he played with some of the best. He played with Lemieux. He played with Yager. He played with the par excellence of the day. So he understood... That toughness isn't about face punching because the skill guys, and he talks about Crosby all the time, the modern NHL is your, your quote-unquote skill guys have to be your hardest guys. I hate saying it out loud, but they have to be that. Because mm-hmm. otherwise it goes away. It fades away, right? So the next level for Patterson is going to be developing, and I don't know if it's going to be to the level of Crosby or McKinnon because let's be honest, it's a really hard level to achieve. There's the reason they're the two of the best players of their generation. Yeah. You fall short of that, that's okay. But you want to try and get there. And the other part talk it mentions all the time is once you make these habits, when you get thrown into big games against Sidney Crosby and the Penguins or Nathan McKinnon and the Avalanche, you're prepared to go up against it. Mm. That's really all that it is. It's a simplistic approach, but the Canucks don't have any of that in their game right now. That's why they give up five or six goals a night. They, they don't have it. They don't know what it takes to shut down an opponent or find a moment in a game where you need a very specific play, like the Pod Colson one, for example. Mm-hmm. Now, the real question is going to be, does he make that play in a high-pressure, high-battle environment where the score is knotted at two and it's the third period of a playoff game or a game that you need to win to get into the playoffs against a very good opponent? That's what Tockett's really trying to get at here. And I think that <laughs> not many guys on this current roster are going to be able to cut the mustard. Let's just be honest here. Yeah. I mean, I, he talked at length about Gonchar and Foot, and talking about techniques, like not just you know two but, very different type of players, right? But right? he but he was lauding a lot of the defensive work that Gonchar mm. did, like the ability to uh, lift sticks and box out. And I mean, I guess you have to do that if you're going to be a borderline hall of fame defenseman for as long as Gonchar was. But the interesting thing was he didn't talk about it in generalities. I don't want to pile on Boudreaux, but Boudreaux's 
answer to a lot of these questions was often like, well, they got to want it more. They got to outwork the opponent. Mm -hmm. And talk it saying it's yes. But there's a technique. There's a technique to all of this. And he's, Mm -hmm. I mean, he said it. You got to get hard and go through guys. Yeah, that's the technique. Get hard first. Yeah. Right? You're hearing it more and more. (laughs) And unfortunately on this show. Don't go go through someone and then get hard. (laughs) Yeah. Get hard and then go through someone. There's an order in place. However. Is this part of practice, you think? Does he write this on the wall? No, I don't think so. It's just understood. Everyone knows you got to get hard. But um, I I think what's happening here is... He, he's saying that Gonchar and Foot are out there teaching. But what I think is really happening is Gonchar and Foot are out there evaluating. Mm-hmm. They're not trying to teach a 27-year-old defenseman to do these things. They're like, either you can do it or you can't at this point. Who's responsible for Pedersen laying guys out now? Like, PD's, like, become really physical lately. I mean, I'm loving it. Don't get me wrong. It's awesome. But, Look, like, I swear, every game I see Pedersen hit at least one guy I think, really I, hard. I think he's gaining more confidence doing that. He's I think, good at yeah. it, too. Yeah. And, for example, I think yeah. Hughes getting busted in the nose with a puck and coming back with a shield. Remember how he chased down his brother uh, when, it, when yeah. Jack had the breakaway? Yeah. Like, there was one thing that Quinn Hughes was not going to let happen on that shift, and it was let his brother score. Did right? you guys hear Petey's interview with uh, Merrick and Frege on the beach from the All-Star yes. game? One of the things that he said was um, he was asked what's something that specifically that you're working on, and he said puck protection. And one of the things he said is, I get knocked down too much. I get knocked over too much. So part of that is technique, protecting the puck, but also it's just getting stronger on your skates. Mm-hmm. And I think we can all agree that he needed to get stronger on his skates. He, f- yeah. he fell down a lot, um, and he's he still falls down quite a bit he gets knocked over quite a bit but I think he's he's getting better at it and he's probably reaching the point in his game where he's been in the league for a while he's like yeah I I, I get knocked down a fair bit but guess what I could knock people down myself if, if you're looking to be at the elite of elite levels then you need to have such a complete you can't have flaws in your game or things that guys can take advantage of guess what they will time and time again that's how you win those battles is you find someone else's weaknesses and you, you hear all these great stories about the greatest athletes and how they'd work on individual parts of their game. I remember Botch used to talk about Murrah Pedersen got his shot to the level that he did. He broke down in like 16 frames. Yeah, he worked on it. He's worked, obsessed with he's it. He's obsessed with it. Obsessed with it like yeah. a golf swing you would be. You'd just be like, you take every segment of that shot. Yeah. Uh, we got to get to Charlie O'Connor, talk a little bit about the Philadelphia Flyers, the Canucks opponent on Saturday, uh, and then we'll get into the Thatcher Demko story because it sounds like Thatcher Demko had a bit of a setback yesterday at practice. Um, Elliot Friedman and Jeff Merrick just released a podcast, 32 Thoughts podcast, and there is an update on Thatcher Demko in that podcast. So we'll have a we'll have the dogs go through that audio, and hopefully we'll have that audio for you uh, in about 15. Minutes. You're listening to the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Sorry, my throat's <clears throat> yelling too much. <clears throat> Sorry. Ah, God, choking on my own rage here. The most opinionated Canucks show out there. Canucks Talk with Jamie Dodd and Thomas Drans. Be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. on a Friday. Happy Friday, everybody. Sweet, sweet Friday. It is Halford. It is Bruff. It is Sportsnet 650. We are coming to you live 
from the Kintech Studios in beautiful Fairview Slopes in Vancouver. Halford and Bruff in the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. Uh, we are halfway through hour one of the program. I see A-Dog working the phones furiously. trying to. I'm, I'm assuming trying to get Charlie O'Connor from The Athletic on the program. Charlie covers the Philadelphia Flyers. The Philadelphia Flyers will be in Vancouver tomorrow night. 7 o'clock, Rogers Arena against your Canucks. It's Saturday night. It's hockey night in Canada. We're giving away a pair of tickets to go see the Canucks and Flyers. All you have to do is send a what we learned or an ask us anything. We've opened it up. Send one to 650-650. That is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Hashtag it WWL. That's for what we learned. Or AUA. That's for Ask Us Anything. The best one with a ticket emoji will be entered into the grand prize draw to win a pair of tickets to see the Canucks and the Flyers tomorrow night at Rogers Arena. Speaking of those Flyers, let's go to the phone lines now. We are joined by Charlie O'Connor from The Athletic here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Good morning, Charlie. How are you? Doing well. How are you doing, guys? We're good. Thanks for taking the time to do this. We really appreciate it. So uh, current vibe check, State of the Union with the Philadelphia Flyers. I'm going to read it straight from your timeline. This was either during or following a very bad 6-2 to loss in Seattle last night. You wrote, say what you will about the Flyers' clear roster flaws this season. This sounds familiar to Vancouver. But they've always played hard and made a real attempt to adhere to Torts' system. These last two games are the first time it's truly fair to wonder if those bright spots are disintegrating. Just yikes. All around. Um, <laughs> is this overstating it, or was it really this bad against the Kraken? Last night's game was pretty bad. Uh, you know, they, they, did, uh, they did come back and score a couple goals at the end. Travis Konechny broke his, uh, his really, really long scoring slump, so at least there were some positives by the end of the game. Uh, but, yeah, when you, uh, when you go the first period and you get one shot on goal the entire first period, it's pretty, it's pretty rough. Um, and I think the the really disappointing part about it for me wasn't even necessarily the fact that they lost. You know, Seattle is a better team than the Flyers. It makes sense that they were going to lose that game. But it was the fact that they played Seattle at home on Sunday and did not play well. And after the game, uh, John Tortorella basically said that he felt like the team wasn't quick enough and that, that they played with the, the leash structure that they had played all year. They played with all year. And he essentially like threw the gauntlet down to, to his team and basically said, but we play these guys, you know, in, in three, four days and we'll see how they respond. And all year, whenever he's thrown the gauntlet down, the team has responded. And then for the Flyers to come out against that same team and look even worse, it, it was just, it was concerning because as I said in that tweet, what it boils down to is that as, as underwhelming as the Flyers have been, the one bright spot of this team has been their, their effort level and their ability to, you know, to not let things snowball for the most part. And these two games, I would say, if, if that's what you're focused on as a bright spot for this team, this is the first time I, I watched this team and thought, you know, the wheels might be in the process of falling off. Yeah, it's, it's hard not to look at this situation in Philadelphia and not draw comparisons to what's going on currently in Vancouver because Rick Tockett, we pl- talked about this in the intro, he's come into this group to uh, analyze and evaluate and you know he's talking about the certain things that he wants to see from his club. 
Uh, Tortorella was brought in earlier, obviously, but he, I think the term that he uses the most is identity and they're trying to find an identity and his job is to look at this group and to figure out who's going to fit into that, that identity. And I guess more importantly, who's not going to. So with all that said, you know, we're a handful of, you know, days away, a couple weeks anyway, from the trade deadline, does Philly start to carve out that identity at the deadline? Or is it going to be too hard to move on from some of these pieces that need to go? It's a fascinating question, and I think you know, the only way I can really answer it is we'll see because there's a lot of things going on right now with the Flyers in terms of you know their approach to the deadline. I do think in an ideal world, yeah, they would start that reshaping process at the deadline. You know, there are some players. That, the one that comes to mind immediately is Kevin Hayes. Um, I don't think Tortorella hates Kevin Hayes, but the fact of the matter is is that Tortorella does hate Kevin Hayes' defense. You know, Kevin Hayes has been a setter his entire career. John Tortorella has decided that Kevin Hayes is not good enough at defense to play center for him. He's now on the wing. And, you know, this is a, a guy who's a veteran, um, 30 years old with three more years left on a contract. And John Tortorella has decided that the position that he normally plays is not a position that he's actually capable of playing. I think Kevin Hayes is a guy who, you know, the Flyers may look to find a way to move. Now, can they do that at the deadline? It's tough because, you know, so many teams are strapped for cap space. He's got a massive cap hit. They probably would have to retain salary. It would be a complicated deal. So it's a tough deal to make at the deadline. Add in the fact that Chuck Fletcher, the general manager, you know, he's on the hot seat right now. And it's, it's very fascinating to me that, you know, Chuck Fletcher's job is not secure at the moment. That's what happens when your team doesn't do well for multiple years and you're in a market like Philadelphia that demands results. But ownership has chosen to have him complete the trade deadline. And this is a big trade deadline for the Flyers in terms of, of, of you know setting up their future path. It's very odd to me that they haven't made a decision on whether they're going to keep him into next year, but they're going to let him do the trade deadline and then potentially make a decision to move on from him in two months. It, it just—it's it, a very odd situation. So I do wonder, you know, would Fletcher be willing to do a big move? Would ownership be okay with him doing a big move at the deadline without having made a final decision on whether he's even going to continue this process? It's there's, there's a lot of really fascinating factors going on right now in Philadelphia entering the deadline and. You know, that makes it seem to me at least that the most likely scenario is that they're just going to sell off their rentals and be done with it. But you never know. I mean, obviously, Chuck Fletcher is trying to keep his job. And if he makes an amazing trade that everybody is shocked about, you know, that's a way for him to make a case that he should still still be the general manager. So it's a very complicated situation in Philadelphia at the moment. And, you know, the next two weeks, I think, are going to be fascinating, even if nothing happens, because if nothing happens, that also says a lot for where they stand. What is ownership's long-term patience level with this team? Because I guess I'm still used to the Ed Snyder years where it was just like, let's throw some money at a problem and see what happens. Like he was, he was, he was a great owner in a, in a lot of ways. Um, he was not necessarily a patient owner. And I'm wondering if that philosophy carries over to the point where they're like, we're not tanking for a few years. We're, we want this to get better and we want, we want it to get better yesterday. Yeah, the, the the ghost of Ed Snyder still definitely hovers over this franchise. Obviously, you know, he passed, so he's not, you know, around anymore to drive the focus. But the ownership, you know, even though they're certainly more corporate, 
they want to seem like they are adhering to his mentality, that they are you know, kind of carrying on his legacy. And you're right. There's an organizational feeling that the Philadelphia Flyers don't tank. You know, I remember for years, you know, obviously because the Pittsburgh Penguins, particularly over the last, you know, 20, 30 years, have had significantly more success in terms of championships than the Flyers. But, you know, one thing the Flyers, not just the fans, but I think the organization as well, always used to say about the Penguins is like, well, yeah, you know, the Penguins might win, but they only got their great players because they tanked. And we don't tank. We always, we always compete. The problem is, and this really is the, the underlying issue, I think with a lot of things in Philadelphia is that you're absolutely right that Ed Snyder looked at things that I'll just throw money at a problem and I care so much that I can solve anything. And if we make a mistake, I'll buy my way out of it. And you're right. That was a laudable way to do things because it shows the fans how much you care. Problem is, is that now we're in a cap year. Like I don't think Ed Snyder's strategy would have worked in a salary cap year. And I think he kind of realized that at the end you know, when he hired Ron Hextall to kind of implement a more of a long-term plan semi-rebuild. Well, then he passed away and then the Flyers stayed mediocre. And now you have ownership dealing with a frustrated fan base, ownership not wanting to deal with an empty building. And they're trying to slap a bunch of band-aids on this thing and not necessarily be willing to commit to a full-fledged rebuild. And you end up where the Flyers are now, which is, Certainly not good enough to be a playoff contender, but also nowhere bad enough to be a serious contender for Connor Bedard and the other top prospects. Charlie, we're right up against it for time here. Uh, we're speaking to Charlie O'Connor from The Athletic, covers the Flyers here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. But I do want to ask, like, Torts does not deal in subtleties and nuance. He's pretty blunt, so it's pretty obvious to know who the guys are that might not be around long term. You mentioned Kevin Hayes already. Have some other candidates jumped to the forefront of you're not a Torts guy, you might not belong for Philly? Yeah, you know, I mean, Hayes to me is the obvious one. I feel like there's other guys that, you know, I could see potentially being moved. You know, I, I get the sense that Ivan Provorov isn't thrilled in Philadelphia. He only has two more years left in his contract after this one. He might be an off-season guy who, who they look to uh, to move more as a change of scenery candidate because I don't think the Torch dislikes him, but I do think that Provorov might welcome a new locale. Um, beyond those two, you know, I, I know that while he likes Tony D'Angelo as a person, there's a real frustration with his defensive struggles. I don't think Tortorella realized just how underwhelming Tony D'Angelo was defensively. They knew he was an offensive defenseman, but they didn't think he needed this much work defensively. So he's a guy who might not be long term. Travis Sandheim's another guy where he had a really good year last season. It looked like he had taken a, a major step forward. And this year, he's mostly underwhelmed. And again, it's the case of, I think Tortorella likes the person, but is kind of underwhelmed so far with the hockey players. So it's interesting because for the most part, I don't think it's that Tortorella doesn't like the guys on the team. But I do think there are some guys that he's come away underwhelmed, especially relative to the contracts they have and the, the spots in the lineup that they're expected to fill. Charlie, this was awesome, bud. Thanks a lot for taking the time to do this. We appreciate it. Enjoy the game tomorrow night. We'll touch base later on as we get closer to the end of the regular season. Okay, sounds good. Thanks a lot, guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate it. Charlie O'Connor from The Athletic here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. That last question was actually just an exercise to prove one of our points, is that when you have to um, not necessarily rebuild on the fly, but you try and fix problems on the fly, oftentimes you have to take 
what's available. Mm-hmm. Right? You have to what's available at free agency or who's actually selling players at the time. So there's a problem because when you want to get, say, good defensemen in the door for the Vancouver Canucks. For example. Here's the thing. Oftentimes, good teams with good defensemen don't sell them. <laughs> Oh, they keep them. What if? But what if you were to offer Connor Garland for one of them? Well, then you move heaven and earth. <laughs> but what happens is, and we've seen this before, uh, oftentimes you have to go cherry pick guys from teams that are either dysfunctional, mm-hmm. looking to rebuild themselves, or have become not so enamored with the player. You always talk about Brian Burke trying to build around Phil Kessel and Dion Phaneuf. Why were those two guys made available? Why did their teams think there was something wrong with them to trade them to Brian Burke and the Toronto Maple Leafs? So that's the problem that you face. If you're the Vancouver Canucks right now and you want to try and get guys in the door this summer with some immediacy, you're going to have to look at Philadelphia. I think Nashville has entered the conversation now. I've seen their name thrown out there a bunch. And all of a sudden you're saying, well, it's not a perfect fit, but it's what's available at the time. Mm-hmm. This, is, this is Taylor Hall for Adam Larson all over again. It's Adam Larson wasn't necessarily the best defenseman they could get. He was the best defenseman available at that time because that was the time that they felt they needed to go forward. Anyway, let's do the Thatcher Demko update. Thatcher Demko left practice early yesterday. Um, There wasn't much of an update from Rick Tockett at the time, uh, but here's Elliot Freeman and Jeff Merrick on the 32 Thoughts podcast with an update on a guy that was supposed to return to the lineup even as a backup tomorrow against the Philadelphia Flyers, that seems in doubt now. Jeff, I don't think we're going to know the outcome of this for a few days, so I don't want to make any guarantees. But Thatcher Damko tweaked something at practice on Thursday. And I think the one thing everybody is being careful here is don't jump to conclusions about what it means because I don't think they're going to know for a few days. But... There was something, and it is a setback. Everyone's hoping it's not the worst-case scenario, but nobody seems to know yet, for sure. Hopefully, he's fine and he can play. It's been a brutal year for him. I don't know if he did something in some previous life that it's all getting piled back on him this year, but just tough year, and I have no doubt he wants to play. So there was video making the rounds yesterday on social media of Demko yesterday at practice at UBC, if I'm not mistaken. And it was very subtle, but he was doing a drill. He then shook his leg and then immediately exited. Now, it's interesting because Taka was actually asked about Demko leaving the ice. And he hadn't talked to the trainers yet, so it was one of those weird things where he kind of knew Demko left, but he didn't know exactly why. And then he, you know, he said, essentially, I don't think it's anything major, but he also hadn't had a medical update at the time. Um, here's what I know that I shouldn't say no. Anything's possible with this group, but here's what I think I know: um, they won't take any risks with Demko whatsoever, especially, especially considering where they're at in the standings. There's no need to get him no. anywhere near a game situation. If it's even the slightest, slightest pull or niggle or whatever, there's you just can't do anything with him because it makes no sense whatsoever. The only reason to rush him back, the only reason to rush him back, is if. Huge if, nothing to support this if, is if they were trying to showcase him for the trade deadline. 
because they had something in the works. Yeah, but even then. Even then, though. I think the, the other acquiring team, the acquiring team, team yeah. were like, uh, don't rush him back. Yeah, you know what? We know what we're getting. It's fine. Don't re-injure him. Right. Because there's a f- actually, it's, it's interesting. If you look around the league right now, uh, Montreal's got a very similar situation. The, the two guys that are garnering the most trade interest are Joel Edmondson and Sean Monaghan. Mm-hmm. And they're both out right. right now. So it really complicates the issue. Again, we're not saying that Demko's going to get traded at the deadline. I would put the percentages at like less than one right, right now. Mm-hmm. But... Um, it's just a thing where it makes no sense. And then for Team Tank, is Andy? Oh, Andy's gone. He's not even here. I was going to throw him in. Like this is great news for anyone that is all aboard the losing train, because mm-hmm. you would imagine that Demko, healthy 100 percent or not, is going to give you more in net than Archer Silovs and Colin Delia. But those look like the two that are going to be rolling forward from here on in. And there's going to be some losses. By that I mean more losses. For your Vancouver Canucks. Uh, so I did want to briefly mention uh, one game that happened last night in the NHL, and that was the Calgary Flames losing at home 5-2 to the suddenly streaking Detroit Red Wings who got warmed up against the Vancouver Canucks. Mm-hmm. They went into Calgary and beat a Flames team that is not in a good way right now. And after the game... An outspoken agent, we all know who Alan Walsh is. He's the agent for Jonathan Huberto. That's correct. Who got traded to the Calgary Flames this offseason and then signed a very long and very expensive contract extension. That is also correct, Jason. Why do you bring that up? And he has struggled badly in Calgary this year. Alan tweeted out after the game, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. Also, and this is the key part, negativity sucks the joy right out of players. What do you think Alan Walsh is hearing about the head coach of the Calgary Flames, Daryl Sutter? Because Daryl has been very negative recently. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if one of the things that kind of affected the players if indeed there is a problem between the players and Daryl Sutter and we've seen I mean we've seen his old teams eventually tune him out or even lock him out when the Los Angeles Kings locked him out of their dressing room yep who was the rookie that came in and played his first game and then Daryl Sutter was very dismissive about his NHL debut Jacob Peltier right yeah yeah and 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 Sutter got a lot of criticism in the market for that. And I think that's actually worth noting because for the most part, the Calgary market is pretty calm and the media there is pretty friendly. And Eric well, Francis, pretty, they're pretty friendly to Daryl is the big thing. Yeah. And Eric Francis, Eric Francis, the uh, Sportsnet writer, kind of the IMAC of the Calgary market wrote a pretty scathing column about Daryl Sutter and why he would do that. And it's just like, and it's, it's, it was negative and it was, it was unnecessary and, uh, you know, we've we've seen this before with Daryl Sutter. He gets results until he doesn't. So here's the funny thing about Calgary and the market right now is they go through a tough stretch. And guess what the majority of the headlines are? Nine out of ten. Uh, it's all on the goalies. Got to figure out the goaltending. Got to fix the goalies. Got to find a new starter. Meanwhile, in Toronto, they go through a bit of a blip. And what's the headlines? Got to fire the coach. Calgary didn't take that step. Because and I, I hate throwing a collective media under the bus. But they all love Daryl Sutter. They do. It's one of the things that Sutter has going for him in Calgary. 
is all the media there loves him. And he's Teflon. When he says really curious things after the game, they all have a chuckle. They're like, ah, there's Daryl, the old Jolly Rancher himself, just being Daryl. And they love it, and they just roll with it. Now, I'm going to say this with Walsh. He's not putting this out there unless he knows very specifically what's going on between the head coach and his client. Because remember, the the earlier instance, the most famous one, really, was Marc-Andre Fleury in Vegas with a sword through his back. And on the sword was the word DeBoer. <laughs> Everyone was replying to Alan Walsh on Twitter yesterday, like, make a meme. Yeah, like, like I mean, you, you went there already. <laughs> he should commission an artist for that stuff. I mean, that was glorious when he did that. So very clearly, very clearly, this is 100%, am I wrong? 100% an issue between Huberto and Sutter. I would think so, and, and maybe the rest of the Flames players and, and, and Sutter. Are you suggesting that maybe he's not speaking just on behalf of Jonathan Huberdeau? I'm suggesting that Daryl Sutter might have lost the room. Yeah, I, I don't know how anyone can look at this. And, you know, I'm not uh, – Alan Walsh is a character that has um, some issues, some flaws, and that, you know, he's there to represent his clients. You're not going to get a very unbiased take from a guy whose sole purpose – is to protect his clients, right? He's like that, a caricature of an agent. But, but, but he reps he is his one. client aggressively. Yes. But that's what. But he'll hey, do. I, I, at the same in the same breath, like Alan Walsh is a power player among NHL yes. agents. Like, there's no denying that he is. You can't just dismiss stuff that he says. He represents some of the the biggest players, the mm. biggest contracts in hockey. So when he does this, it's not just you know he just thought of it at a moment's notice. It's a it's big all, deal. It's, but it's, it's all very deal. calculated yeah. too. And to be honest, he probably waited a lot longer than he needed to, although this is like 55 games into an eight-year deal. But you also have to wonder how this makes Jonathan Huberto look. There were a lot of replies on Twitter. It's like, just tell your client to play better. Yeah, I know. But you know how this ends, really, in the modern NHL. With yep. that long of a contract and with, hey, Tree Living painted himself into this corner with the contracts that he handed out. Well, he gave Daryl Sutter an extension, too. Yeah, but that one's easier to get than, say, eight years, $84 million mm-hmm. for Huberto off the books. And I'm not saying we're there, but... You understand what happens. We love it, though, because it's the Flames. That's tremendous. Because it's the Flames. We love seeing them in a mess. Uh, You're listening to the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. We'll get into a little bit of footy talk with Peter Galindo on the other side. And then we'll return to uh, the Canucks talk. There's a few more audio clips I want to go through from Rick Tockett yesterday. He spoke after practice, and he also spoke at the Canucks Dice and Ice event with uh, Sat and Dan. So a few more quotes that we'll talk about. And I want to talk about uh, Rick Tockett as a player in the era that he played in and how much that might affect how he coaches hockey even today all those years later. You're listening to the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650.